This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News, working remotely in my hometown, Iowa City, Iowa. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, June caps a stronger-than-expected first half for U.S. sales. Tesla sets a quarterly sales record, and Ford gets a favorable court ruling on its EV program for dealers. Plus, we'll hear from the co-founder and CEO of electric boat startup, Navier, about how the company hopes to disrupt the way transportation works in most major cities. The technology that we have built, the product that we are building, it will dramatically change the way we move in coastal cities. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Second quarter and June sales results are mostly in. General Motors posted second quarter sales gains for all four of its brands, securing a first half lead over Toyota that exceeds 120,000 light vehicles. Each GM brand gained at least 15%, which happens to be the same as the company's increase in retail sales, while fleet deliveries jumped by a third. GM's second quarter light vehicle sales total rose 19% to 689,000. Toyota sales in June rose 15% for a third straight monthly gain. For the quarter, combined Toyota and Lexus sales rose 7% to about 569,000. Stellantis snapped a seven-quarter U.S. sales slump. Second-quarter U.S. deliveries rose 6%, aided by strong results from Ram, Dodge, and Chrysler. But the automaker's largest brand struggled. Jeep was off 3% for its eighth straight quarterly decline. Wrangler was down 13% during the period. Honda deliveries rose 57% in June. The automaker was up 45% for the second quarter compared with the same period last year. Hyundai and Kia sales rose 10% and 8% respectively in June and were up a combined 15% for the quarter. Genesis also remained on a roll with monthly sales jumping 33% in June. Nissan posted a 33% gain in second quarter sales behind a sharp rise in light truck sales led by the Rogue. Subaru sales have now jumped 28% for two consecutive months, and Mazda's sales boomed again in June, surging 97%. It's the ninth straight monthly sales gain for the automaker. We expect the latest results from Ford tomorrow. Tesla delivered a record 466,000 EVs worldwide in the second quarter, outpacing Wall Street estimates. The results demonstrated that CEO Elon Musk's plan to chase volume by cutting prices has had its intended effect. Analysts Bloomberg surveyed had expected Tesla to ship about 448,000 cars in the quarter. The deliveries are the most ever in the quarter for Tesla and an 83% increase from a year ago. Rivian also beat expectations in the second quarter. It delivered more than 12,600 vehicles, which is a big improvement over the previous quarter when it delivered fewer than 8,000 vehicles. Ford's electric vehicle certification program for dealers does not violate South Dakota's franchise law. That's the ruling from a hearing officer in the state. It's the first such decision on a program that has prompted numerous legal actions and dealer protests. 
It's a big test for a retail strategy that CEO Jim Farley describes as key to Ford's competitiveness as it attempts to eventually dethrone Tesla as the nation's best-selling EV maker. The program requires dealers to invest as much as $1.2 million each and adhere to rigorous sales standards to sell future EVs. Some retailers say it violates franchise laws by limiting what products they can sell. If a dealer has not opted in to the voluntary program, they will be limited to selling only gasoline and hybrid models starting next year, at least until another enrollment window opens later this decade. And former colleagues and industry executives are paying tribute to Lotus Design Chief Peter Horbury, who died last week at age 73. Horbury was probably best known for turning around Volvo's design in the 1990s. He oversaw the transition from the Swedish automaker's long-standing boxy shape to incorporate the now-famous shoulders below the window line that kept the design practical, but broke up the boxiness. Lotus said in a statement that Horbury died while visiting colleagues in China. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, June caps off a strong first half for U.S. sales. Do you think automakers can keep the momentum going into the second half? It looks like it. You know, we spoke last week with Jonathan Smoke from Cox Automotive, and he pointed out that the likelihood of recession has really dwindled for this year and maybe for this whole economic cycle. Uh, certainly, it looks like, you know, consumer spending is strong. Credit is available, although rates are higher. And of course, affordability remains a concern. But with more inventory on the ground, and plenty of people still looking to buy, plenty of companies and governments as well. Uh, things should keep rolling. Of course, the big wild card uh, for later in the year is the risk of a labor strike, either at the UAW or Unifor or both. So could be a few uh, speed bumps along the way. Interesting. Coming up, electric boat startup Navier has ambitions to change the transportation game in coastal cities worldwide. We'll hear from CEO Sam Pretty Bhattacharya next on Daily Drive. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lane, GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Navier is one of many electric startups hoping to revolutionize the way we get around. But unlike many of the companies we hear about here on the podcast or in the pages of automotive news, Navier isn't trying to do that on the roads. It's doing it on the water. The company is pioneering in the space of electric hydrofoiling boats, the kind that almost look like they're floating above the water instead of swaying on top of the waves. Navier co-founder and CEO Sampriti Bhattacharya spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. Sampriti, thanks so much for being here and joining us on the podcast today. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Pete. Uh, so we were on the water in San Francisco, on San Francisco Bay, not all that long ago. And and one of the most distinct impressions or memories that I have from that uh, here a few weeks later is, is not from the boat itself, but looking up at all the traffic on the Bay Bridge. And it was just like this slog of, of endless cars not going anywhere. And we were just kind of breezing back and forth underneath with, with no problems. So uh, I want to kick off this second part of our podcast here with, with a 30,000 foot view question. And, and that is, I know you want to enable a new era of transportation. So can boats pull a meaningful amount of traffic from, from land and roads onto water? Yes, uh, you know, certainly. So the way I see it, Pete, is that, you know, people used to move on the waterways, right? And at the turn of the century, uh, automobiles became cheaper, more efficient, and really the waterways were replaced by the highways. Now, in the coastal cities, which is about, you know, 50% of the world lives on, you know, pretty congested coastal cities, say San Francisco, New York, London, Hong Kong, Macau, you name it, right? Um, in coastal cities, uh, today, it's all filled out, right? You're sitting in traffic for hours, all the infrastructure is filled out, there is no more places to build bridges. So you are thinking either you need to build tunnels, or you need to do air taxis and whatnot, right? But the waterways, are there, the infrastructure is there underutilized just because we haven't figured out how to move, you know, people and things on the water at a cost efficient way, right? So just on the Bay Bridge alone, let's say every day, 260,000 cars are moving and you're stuck in traffic for an hour, what should be a 10 minutes ride across the Bay. So, when you ask, like, can we really make this possible? Can, why, why would people suddenly take water taxi to commute on the bay, uh, leaving, you know, leaving their cars or whatever other means they do? The thing is, people think of three things, right? Cost, speed, and convenience. So if we can get people from point A to point B at a fraction of the time, right, skipping all the traffic uh, conveniently, which means and I'll come to that in a second, and at a cost-competent cost competent way, people will take that. And that's where really, you know, hydrofoil electric water taxis come in, uh, because that's a problem that was not solved, or we have not been able to solve that problem with traditional gas boats as we know it. So yes, I have a lot of hope with uh, the technology that we have built, the product that we are building, it will, you know, dramatically change the way we move in coastal cities. Yeah, it's interesting. When I first started thinking about this, I was like, you know, is there really a big enough niche? But then to your point, I started thinking of all the cities that are that are on water, all the major cities, all the minor cities, and it's it's the majority of them. So how do you quantify the addressable market here? I mean, you know, there's always this like crazy numbers you can you know, throw out. But instead of numbers, let me just walk you through, um, you know, how this the world will look like. So think about the routes, like Redwood City to Berkeley, um, the traffic, one and a half hours um, on the road. But when you're going on a 35 to 40 knots high-speed water taxi, 
um, you can do that in like 20 minutes, basically, right? Uh, when you're thinking of San Francisco to, uh, you know, Oakland or Alameda, like I have been on traffic on the on the bridge, like for hours, like one hour sometimes, uh, that you should be able to do in 10 minutes. So we are now talking about now look at New York, look at Seattle, look at all of these things. It scales up pretty easily. And we are not just talking about places where you're, you know, um, looking at traffic crossing the bridge. We are talking about places where, you know, the it's along the body of the water too, and where you're, you know, getting stuck for like hours. So the numbers, I mean, you know, even if the bridge traffic is, you know, two two fifty thousand cars a day. Can you remove like ten percent of that? That's a big number if you can do ten percent. So you mentioned costs, convenience, speed. I, I think you sold me on speed and convenience. Uh, can you do this at a at a cost that's approaching parity? Uh, a little bit more expensive to pay for that convenience. What does the cost look like? Do you think? You know, that's a great question. And that is that is a very important thing to solve. And I'll I'll come that how it comes into our grand master plan, as we call it. But people will pay a little bit more for convenience, but it has to be something that people will pay for everyday commute, right? So that again goes back to, you know, how you build your boat and what does the utilization of different routes look like. So, you know, how big of a boat are those? And um you know, that that would really decide like uh, the utilization basically drive costs. But where we are going towards is definitely where, you know, it is cost competitive to public other public transportation, maybe slightly expensive than your everyday BART, but uh, definitely not like a, you know, one person Uber ride, which is, you know, could be prohibitive for most people. Sure. Uh, are you envisioning carrying people or goods or both or one after another? Uh, what is the initial model or the long-term model? Navier at the core is a maritime company. We build, sell, operate boats. Um, however you define those boats to be. So we have one section of the company that is directly selling boats to recreational buyers and also other purposes. And the other part is, you know, we are in transportation business. And the first thing we are doing is the water taxi. Uh, the way we see it is that the big disruption here with the small vessels is that every marina can suddenly become a hub, a transportation hub. I mean, this is really like, you know, building a, a railway network again, right? So every marina, suddenly in San Francisco, you go from 10 ferry terminals and five routes, say, to over... 65 terminals and over 2,000 possible routes. And so initially, each of these uh, marinas, like, you know, as they become this transportation hub for water taxi, and the next phase we see is single container barges, single or like dual containers. So the what we call is more like short sea shipping. And there, another big impact comes in, which is like removing, you know, the truck traffic and also emission from the road. So Obviously, you know, we are looking at both passengers and cargo. So this is an interesting thought. Like we talked about the shift from land to water, but the other big shift that you're talking about is theoretically like diesel fuel to electric. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's like the second paradigm shift. 
what does electrifying take out of the the fuel cost or the energy cost would probably be the better way to ask that. A fantastic question. The awesome thing about hydrofoil electric boat is electric and hydrofoil like really goes hand in hand. So hydrofoil boats are not new, you know, but what really has pushed hydrofoil boats today to like the scale and commercialization is actually electrification and also like autonomy, like cheaper, faster computing and scalable manufacturing, right? So a hydrofoil electric boat is, you know, 10 times, or more than 10 times even, like more efficient than a traditional gas boat. So you're talking about, you know, $4 per nautical mile. I mean, because you're gas price, right? Compared to like 38 cents per nautical mile. And that's where the disruption in the unique economics happens. So what you're doing with the hydrofoil, and this is important to understand, any electrification at a in a long-term perspective is giving you about 30% savings, right? You see it in the cars, uh, in the land, uh, you know, landborne options. Similar on the water too. Uh, but, um, you know, a traditional electric boat, the biggest struggle to adoption is obviously range. You're pushing water. Now with hydrofoil, you're like, you know, that is where it's not only that you're getting a greater range, obviously higher efficiency, and then again, you know, you're also much more smoother ride, which makes it appropriate for transportation. I mean, a traditional boat on a choppy bay is just not suited for transporting, right? Um, so electrification is really at the core of you know, it is not this feel-good thing here. It is what is driving this disruption and opening up the in economy, you know, of waterborne transportation that was never possible before. Sampriti Bhattacharya is the co-founder and CEO of the electric hydrofoiling boat startup Navier. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcast. It includes one part where they're talking on one of the company's prototype boats as it crosses San Francisco Bay. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own David Phillips, Lawrence Iliff, and Michael Martinez for their reporting for today's podcast. And a special shout out to our colleagues Nick Gibbs and Douglas Bolduck of Automotive News Europe for their reporting for this episode. You can get the latest news on innovation and tech, the latest sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with Brady Erickson, CEO of Finia, which began trading today as an independent company on the New York Stock Exchange following the completion of its spinoff from Board Warner. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.